0: Good morning, church. Um, As someone who has been so very well loved by the people of this church, it is my honor to read the scripture today for us on our 30th anniversary. Um, Our scripture passage for today's sermon comes from the book of Joshua, chapter one, verses one through nine. If you would please stand with me for the reading of God's word. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, The Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Let's look to the Lord for his help. Father, you were so kind to come and answer prayer in our first service. And I'm tempted to project onto this one when, though the message is essentially the same, your purposes may vary for the needs. So, as I've asked time and again, I pray for your help, for this grand test, and for these whom you so love, Be faithful, mercy to you, accomplish your purposes, Holy Spirit, have your way, that you may be glorified, Father, Son, and Spirit, and our joy be made full. In Jesus' name, Amen. What is some of the worst news you've ever received? I mean, the very worst. I have known my share, my senses you have as well. No 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 one escapes this life without bad news. But imagine Joshua grappling with this news in verse two of our text. Moses, my servant, is dead. Moses, burning bush, Moses. Let my people go, Moses. Red Sea Park, Moses. Ten Commandments on Tablets of Stone, Moses. The most humble man on the face of the earth, Moses. Numbers 12, 3. Dead. Finished. Gone. And like that, number 2, the assistant. Assumes the number one rule. But the challenge facing the Israelites poised on the Transjordan. Look at verse 2 again. Arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people into the land I am giving them. I you read this text, you don't have to work hard to empathize with Joshua's the impact of the news and the challenge on him. Did you see the repetition? Three times. Essentially the same exhortation. Verse 6, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, slightly different, nuance, same measure, message. Only be strong and very courageous. Now check out the last in verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Now when God comes at you with the same message multiple times, there's a reason for that. He needed to hear it. And who can blame him the once upon a time spy, since the book of Numbers, knew better than most the formidable challenge of the Canaanites, the giants in the land across the swollen River Jordan. Temptations to discouragement, anxiety, fear, must have been a man. And listen to this. There's not a man who hears the call and takes the post who doesn't battle it. Discouragement. Loss. Fear. Anxiety. Sleepless nights. And that's how it comes and speaks on what basis does she encourage his man? At this point in redemptive history, look at verse 5. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Now what is that? To what does the Lord point the heir apparent to strengthen his backbone for the future that lies ahead. Faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 23, 3 is my faithfulness. Bank on that, young man. Count on that, Faithfulness yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And so we're ready now for a main idea for this shared anniversary message. Future challenges must be faced by trusting in God's continual faithfulness to his people. Future challenges. Listen to me. Covenant members, Orlando Grace Church, you bought in here, This is your home, your church, your kingdom outpost for the Messiah, Jesus. You're not done with challenges. When the pandemic hits in the rear window, hallelujah, thanks be to God, come quickly, Lord Jesus. When? When the morass of the social justice controversy, when we when we climb out of that, and it and its present imperative to challenge us says there will be other giants are you prepared to pick up your slain and your five soothed stones and fight there's only one hope you have a constant confidence in the unrelenting faithfulness of I am. Now, my successor is tasked to talk to you about the future. My task is about the past. I served as the teaching elder from 03 to 18, 15 years, do the math. How old are we? 30, half of it? Yeah. I know something about God's faithfulness, not all, but I know a great deal about his faithfulness to this apple of his eye. Time fails me to recount it all. I choose one dimension with a few particulars. To me, one of the main takeaways from the text, succession. Succession. God always has a man. For the works he ordains. God's never outdone by the death of a servant, even a giant like Moses. Just because a great leader for the Lord finishes his course and hears, well done. doesn't mean that the mighty voice of God stops speaking to his people. comes and speaks right here in verse 2. When a leader runs his race and finishes it, the plan of God does not come to a sudden halt. God buries his workers, but his work marches on. Always has a man. For the work, he James. Of course, this is in no way, shape or form, to minimize the fact that the man needs a lot of help. And God partners. God uses partners to shoulder the burden and the load and the challenge with his men. But someone must lead. Someone must cast a vision. Someone must take point. Someone must count the cross to be the lightning rod on post. And God has been faithful to this church to that end from the get-go. Man number one, the church planter, Pastor Craig. He predates me. I've never met the man. I know what I've been told and what I've heard. But I do know this. Church planting takes guts. It is not for the faint of heart. The challenges are huge. I've done it once. But God had a man with a vision and partners and planted this church 30 years ago on a solid gospel foundation, the magisterial 1689 profession of faith, good bylaws put together by some helpers, A purchase of property on Teller Road that no one ever imagined would bloom into the ability to build this. Numerios Road was such a strong vicinity. And then there was bad news. Now I'm not here to bash anybody. For called 50 flawed men have been on post at Orlando's race. Three of us are here. We will all give an account. You get off so easy, Christian, when you face the judgment. James 3 1, those who teach a greater judgment. May there be more gold, silver, and precious stone for the four of us than hay, wood, and stubble. How shall I put it? Pastors, Ray, shown off in another direction. This place reeled from the news. Traumatic doesn't begin. From what I've been told, Many left. Future was in jeopardy. But God had a man. Pastor Tim, man number two. Most of his stewardship, along with his beloved Karen, predated me. Imagine the courage gifted, prosperous, engineer, here's a call, enrolls at Reformed Seminary, earns an MDiv, and he's beckoned here to put the, the train back on the track, pick up the pieces, and did it. Well. I was his assistant in the last year and a half of his tenure. Worship leaders, you can believe it with all of this stuff. Some of the best months of my life. And you said, you know what? I believe in Jesus and you. Even with your weird history. And as I said to you in session one, I said to you again, I know in light of what I'm about to say about how your tenure ended. It's never altogether easy for you to be here. And your bride, I praise. Jane and I prayed this might be another installment of whatever shalom. That thing only King Jesus at the bar will ever completely sort out. As you and I and others continue to grapple with baffling providence and be faithful to what the Lord now has and will have for us. But the news came that It was time for him to move on in another excruciating conflict. Again, a split. Do not need to belabor the details, but with Peacemaker Ministry's help, we work through the conflict. And I will say to you if you ever want to hear, about God's faithfulness. I will tell you in my tenure, that intervention and the role of peacemakers was the single most significant evidence of a faithful God that I can ever talk about for what it meant then and what it's continuing to mean into the present and, I hope, the future. And somehow in that, loss, God had another man, number three. And you're looking at him. Oh, my goodness, oh, and I've, I've talked to you for days about the faithfulness of God. In my 15 years, from rebooting the church, revising the mission, vision, and values, reorganizing a leadership team, I never want to be the only elder in a local church again. <laughs> building the building in a recession and working for 10 years or more at cultivating a robust culture of peace that became a book, and you, like so many churches around this nation and beyond, have been tested in the last 18 months, perhaps like never before, Are you a peacemaking church or land of race? In this hard time, the pandemic, the cultural crisis, the political polarization, are there more laws that have been ripped out of your eyes with Jesus' help and left on the floor of this building and property than there are steps? you sought to micro remove from a beloved brother or sister. Never give up that vision. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called, sons of God. But then came more news. I will have to ask whether it was good or bad. Time for pastors to get out of the fast lane. The guy's getting old, the parts are wearing out, there's got to be a change. And so we started a succession process with a all. From number three to number four, a baton pass. This is the one I took away from the service in 2018. A peaceful, orderly baton pass to number four and God had a man and his bride Angela and it's been your stewardship for three plus years now God's been faithful there have been some incredibly sweet things and some very hard things but God has said to you, be strong and courageous and says it again today in the hope of the one that you'll preach in a moment in an Old Testament message that so wonderfully points to Yeshua. Church, in 2019 Lifeway Research reports 3,000 Protestant churches were planted. Do you know how many folded? 4,500. Churches closed every day. 30 years Orlando's race. Two splits for men. Different places. There's probably more of you here that I don't know than the ones that I do But the lampstand for the gospel, for King Jesus, whatever our perspectives and differences on many other levels are, the lampstand burns brightly. And as long as it does, God will have a man. And he'll be faithful in the future.
0: I was
2: thinking in the first service as I was listening to that message that I hope I get to be at our 60th. The, the math works out. I don't know that I'll be the pastor or not, but I hope I get to be at the 60th. And I know he's right that, by the way, you're the only one that could have walked through the past in that way. And I really appreciate it. And I know you're right that whatever's in our past... They're, they're giants in our future, they're coming. I, I hope God gives us a little season in between the pandemic, the polarization and whatever's next, but I know you're right. And as I look kind of in my imagination, just first service, first time really started thinking about it for that 60th anniversary, what is it that's going to need to be true of Orlando Grace Church? What are we going to have to be able to see to be able to make it there well, to make it there healthy? And the answers are right in this passage. When we think about God's faithfulness to his people, there are two things that strike us in this passage that have to be true of all of us going forward. There are a lot of things we can disagree on, a lot of things that that we won't see eye to eye on, but these two things have to be true. First, we have to know that God will guide us through his word. We have to know that. And if you think about Joshua, he's actually the if you're reading the Bible, you know, kind of chronolog- chronologically, Genesis and you come to Joshua, he's the most relatable person in the Bible thus far to us, because he's the first person in the Bible who is primarily led by the Word, by the written Word. And so this is this is what we see in verses seven and eight. Uh, God says, "Only be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you." So he's referring to the first five books of the law. He's saying, "Go there, the written Word. That's that's your source there." Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book of the law shall not depart from our mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. So God's word does a lot of things. It enlightens our eyes. It points us to our sin. It tells us much about God's character. It points us to Jesus, Jesus' Jesus' first coming, his second coming. But in the context of Joshua's call, I think the emphasis on the written word is for wisdom and prosperity. That's, that's. I mean, it says it, that you should have good success. You will prosper. You will make your way prosperous. But because of some really bad theology, I feel like I need, on, on both extremes, I feel like I need to define this thing called prosperity because there's there is a, a an area of bad theology that teaches that if we obey the word and have enough faith, then things are going to go well for us in terms of health, wealth, and prosperity. And if something's going wrong in our life, then we need to primarily look at, do, do we have enough faith? Do we have enough obedience for, or else these bad things wouldn't happen. And if you've been around the last three years, you've heard me say uh, at least once that when Angela was going, fighting her cancer, this one guy came up to me and he told us that told me that she had cancer because we didn't have enough faith. <laughs> I've never really wanted to punch somebody so bad, but that's not what the, that's not what the Bible's teaching about prosperity. Things like cancer will come, but because of this teaching, the pendulum has also come all the way to the other side, and we have stream theological streams that want to throw out prosperity altogether, just kind of ignore this word any time that it comes up. But we can't throw out prosperity because God wants us to be prosperous. We just have to define it correctly. The right definition of prospering in God's word is that we will thrive in what it is that God has called us to do. So the, the callings are all going to look different. But this idea of grace and obedience, they're never supposed to be in conflict with each other because it's in the context of obedience to God through his written word that we are going to know God and experience joy, whatever the calling is that he's given us in his life. And so they're, again, they're gonna look different. Joshua called to march an army out of the wilderness into the promised land. That was his call. That, that's, not, that's not our call to, to go and fight these wars. God called David to reign as king in that promised land. God called Jeremiah to preach in that promised land for nobody to really listen to what he had to say. And we saw just about a month ago, Stephen's call was to die, die for the gospel. So these are very different callings and God hasn't stopped giving his people hard callings in this modern era. Some of you might recognize the, the name Wang Yi. Wang Yi's call is to be a pastor uh, of a reformed Christian church in Chengdu, China. And a part of that call and for a season meant that he, his, the, the church grew and there was great influence all around the country. And now a part of that call is that he is in prison for about a decade. He's in prison, has a, a wife, relatively young kids. But when pushed by the Chinese government to publicly recant what he's saying and stop pastoring this church, this is what he said now to the entire world. I firmly believe that Christ has called me to carry out this fateful disobedience through a life of service under this regime that opposes the gospel and persecutes the church. This is the means by which I preach the gospel and it is the mystery of the gospel which I preach. And do you know where he gets all of that? The written word. I mean, his family doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what he's going through. Do you know where they look to for guidance in that hard calling in their life? They look to God's word. God's given us different calls. He guides us in these calls and he does it through his word. So we read the word, we, we hide the word in the heart so we might not sin against him. And we use that word to understand our callings and to thrive in the unique calling that God has given each of us. So the question that we need to ask ourselves in light of this is where do we go when we're afraid? When there's fear in our lives, where do we go for comfort? Is it to God's word? Or do some of us, maybe, myself included, are we tempted to want God to to like just give us a huge sign in the sky? Do we ask for little signs along the way when we're actually ignoring the clearest place that he has spoken to us in his word? I mean, do we do we go to, is God's word our constant and our primary guide or is it just the place that we go when, when we have a last resort, when we've exhausted all the other avenues? Because if, if that's what we're doing, we're not looking to God's word as the guide. So what would, it, what would it mean for us to take God's word as seriously as Joshua is, as serious as Israel is? All of it, Genesis to Revelation. I was thinking this morning in this cold winter snap. That I know we have some Canadian brothers and sisters. This is a cold winter snap for us. When is it the last time that we curled up next to the fire with a little Nahum or Leviticus in our hands? I, was, I had lunch this week with an older brother and he had, we were, he had his Bible and we were talking about some passages and it was just such a joy to see his paper Bible, which I still value. And to see all the notes that he'd written all over his Bible, the highlights and how the white edges of the paper weren't white in some places anymore because of how many times he had flipped the pages with his fingers. Devices can't do that. Can't show that kind of wear and tear. And those notes, they, didn't, they weren't only in the New Testament. They went all the way back to Genesis. Genesis. And I think so many Christians, we're hindered in our ability to be guided by God's word because if we read the Bible at all, we read the New Testament or maybe we just read the gospels and we ignore so much else that God has given us to guide us. I heard a pastor a little while ago uh, liken the Bible to the Marvel Universe's Avengers movie series. Stay with me, it, it was actually pretty good. And I realized someone pointed out, I, I talked about Marvel last week, so no more Marvel after this week for, for quite some time. But the, the Avenger universe is about 25 movies, and they all, is one story, you know, leading up to Infinity War and Endgame. But what happens if you go and watch Infinity War and Endgame without ever looking at Iron Man, without ever looking at... Um, you know, Thor, or Guardians of the Galaxy, or any of these other ones, what happens is you know the end of the story, but you're probably pretty confused, (laughs) because there's so much that got you to the end that explains, oh, this is who this is, this is why this is happening, and the same is true in the Bible, if you think about it, 66 books, 66 books with one message about God's faithfulness to his people through his son, Jesus Christ, and if we don't, know them all, and immerse ourselves in the all, we're not going to understand and appreciate the full story, and we're not going to be led by God the way He wants us to through His Word. Jesus says that the Word is like food for our souls. And so, you know, we go, just like we go to different foods for different things, we go to God's Word in different Parts of God's words, they, they nourish us in different ways. So, some, some areas of God's word, it's like a Luke's hamburger. It's my favorite hamburger in town. And you go to that hamburger, and you just immediately, just the taste is flowing, you're full, it nourishes you in that way. But you go to other parts of God's word, and it might be like a protein shake. Okay? It's accomplishing a, an important, nourishing value, but it feels different than that hamburger. And other parts of God's word is more like a Jolly Rancher candy. You know, it takes its time. You can't just bite into it. You have to meditate. You have to pray. It, it works its way into your system in a different kind of way. Scripture is so beautiful that it has all these different kinds of food nourishing us. But it will never nourish us as if it never leaves those pages or that screen and go into our minds and down into our hearts. One of the great privileges of being a part of this church, I think, is our history of, of valuing God's word. We were planted on Reformed Theological Seminary. God's word has been been faithfully and expositionally preached since its inception. We, of course, we were on RTS's campus when RTS was in this side of town, and And in addition to the three of us and the other pastor, people have taught here like R.C. Sproul and Ligon Duncan and and faithful seminary professors who hold God's word in high regard. So looking forward, I can tell you, one of my deepest desires is to carry that, that, that tradition Not man's tradition, but that faithful biblical instruction of holding the word in high regard. Not just from here, including here, but in all of our daily lives. Because if that's going to happen, if we're guided by God's word, then we're going to see that 60th anniversary. And then secondly, and more briefly, the second thing that we really have to understand and embrace is that God is really with us. He is really with us. And I know I said... Most of my time here talking about how Scripture, Scripture, Scripture's the guide. And that's true, but we need to make sure we don't turn this guide into some form of God. Because Scripture is a signpost. Scripture is not a destination. God is the destination. Scripture is pointing us to God. Look at verses 5 and 9. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life, just as I am with Moses. So I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So what does it mean that that God's saying, I'm gonna be with you, Joshua, the way I was with Moses? He says, you're gonna have my presence in a similar kind of way that Moses did. Well, this Hebrew word for presence, it literally means face. So what does it mean when you have someone's face? It means you have access to them. I mean, so the way that Moses had access to God, now Joshua is going to have that same kind of access. So my kids have a unique kind of access to me. If they get out of their bed in the middle of the night and they make their way to my bed and crawl in and nuzzle next to me and they're looking at, we're face to face, that's okay. They have that kind of access. If any of you ever find, find myself face to face with you in my bed, that's not okay. You don't have that kind of access. Well, God's saying that kind of access, that's what Moses had and that's what I'm giving you, Joshua. And that had to be so encouraging to Joshua in light of this daunting, these daunting shoes that he had to fill and this daunting task ahead of him. When David wrote, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. Why is it that he wouldn't fear evil? Because you are with me. When Paul was scared to go into the city of Corinth, Jesus showed up to him and what did Jesus say? I'm with you. When the disciples were about to see the the physical body of Jesus at his ascension carried away from them forever, he gave them the great commission and then he gave them the great comfort. What was the comfort that he gave them in light of his physical departure? Lo, I am with you always. And that promise, unlike the promise to Moses and Joshua and David, which were unique promises for them, what's going on here is that Jesus is making those kinds of promises true for all the disciples. This isn't just to those men in front, of this is for every follower of Jesus Christ, because Jesus has secured our access. On the cross, Jesus went and gave up his access that we might have that kind of access. He took the wrath of God that we deserved, giving up his unique access as a privileged son. And in exchange, we get that kind of access. We become sons and daughters looked at as every bit as righteous as Jesus himself. So now the promise can be extended to all of us because Jesus has secured it for all of us. This is why the author of Hebrews says, "Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find help, find grace to help in time of need." So, what is a diagnostic that we can use? How that, to, to measure how are we doing in this area? How are we doing in looking to God's word as our guide? How are we doing in, in leaning into the real access that we have with God? How are we doing in growing in courage and bravery? And the diagnostic that I would give you, I, I'd ask the question, is God getting bigger in your life? Is God getting bigger? Are, are, are you just giving God Sunday morning and maybe some devotionals along the way? Or is God really penetrating every issue, every fear, every concern, every joy in your life? Because the more that we are led by God in in relationship with him, the more that I can do nothing apart from you becomes everything. C.S. Lewis was wanting to make this point in, in the Prince Caspian, his book. And there's this beautiful conversation between Aslan and Lucy. And it goes like this. Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger that is because you were older little one he answered not because you are lucy replied i am not but every year you grow you will find me bigger that's the diagnostic Is god getting bigger in our life so what does this mean for us i think we can apply this in two ways both faithful one secondary one primary secondary we can secondary ways we can see ourselves in Joshua. We can identify with Joshua. We have a call in our lives and we need to be strong and courageous and fight and obey. And this is how we're going to look at this and be encouraged as we face our anxieties and fears and our unique callings. Some callings are into vocational ministry, some are into real health issues, some are in addiction issues, some the loss of relationships, even in your home. These are all our unique callings that we have and we can look to Joshua and be encouraged. And our call to obey and fight and be courageous. But the second, and I would say the primary way, in the context of the whole Bible and the history of church, that we should look at this, we should look at this, and we should identify with Israel, because if you look, it's no coincidence that that Joshua and Jesus they have the same Hebrew name, Yeshua. And it's no coincidence that they have actually a very similar kind of job. So you have the Yeshua in in the book of Joshua who is leading the Israelites out out of the wilderness into battle and ultimately into the promised land. But the better Yeshua is leading a new covenant people into a harder fight that will result in an eternal promised land. These are not coincidences. We're to look at this and see we have that better Yeshua. Joshua's pointing to a different kind of fight, a spiritual fight that will result for victory for God's people in the eternal promised land. We are that marching army. I mean, there's a, there's, this is the reason that at the end of every benediction given in this church, you will hear you will hear you are sent. Because you are that marching army. We are that army marching. We are sent. We are sent into the neighborhoods, we are sent into the gyms, we are sent into the schools, we are sent into the marketplace, we are sent into the hospitals, we're sent into our homes. But we are sent. Everywhere that we go, we are sent. And so today, I, I just I look out here and I see people who have been here for my whole tenure. I, I see people who have been here from the very beginning. I see people who are new, people who God has moved on, but you're back here today. And and it's sweet. You know, and if you're here today and, and God has you in a different church now and your season at OGC it came and it passed, I just want to look at you and say thank you. Thank you for the, the good foundation that you laid. Thank you for the, the peacemaking ethic. Thank you that we get to labor uh, on so much that you have laid out before us. Many of the fruits that we experience is because of God's faithfulness in your journeys, this building included. And PC and Tim, I just, I want to say thank you to you two for your service to this church. God, I don't think I'm overstating this to say God has used you two uniquely in a way that I can't imagine this church existing without your work here. I really mean that. And I hope to honor the the wounds and the scars inside, and the winds and the faithfulness of God in your ministries, I hope that my, my tenure honors the foundation that you've laid ahead of me. Orlando Grace Church, we have our call. We're here to grow in Christ and be a part of filling the Great Commission. So maybe, I'll, maybe I will get to see the 60th. Maybe some of you will be at the 60th with us. I probably won't be the pastor, I would imagine. I don't know, like 30 years from now, who knows? But PC is good to remind me often that every pastor is an interim pastor, but the church goes on. The church is the army. And so we are brave and we are courageous because we are sent people led by the better Yeshua into the perfect promised land. What a privilege. It is to be a part of this church. Thank you. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the brothers and sisters who have labored before us. We are thankful for their work, but we say that in light of of your faithfulness to your church And the ultimate faithfulness that you have provided in your son, Jesus Christ, securing our access. And we pray today that we would be an introspective church that would really and honestly wrestle with what's going on in our hearts, with our relationships with you and others. And we pray that corporately we would be an external church that is sent marching full of grace and truth into all the little places around the city and around this world that you've sent us to. We love you, we praise you, we thank you for the past 30 years and we ask for another great 30 years and beyond. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.